0: What a unique time to be alive, right? Amen. Um, In light of that, we will be um, going over the book of Revelation starting September 1st. Um, Well, the first Sunday of September. I don't believe that's September 1st. But um, first Sunday of September, we will be going over the book of Revelation. Um, in August, I will be taking a sabbatical and there's been some questions about that because there's two words within the church that scare people. The first one is repentance. People think that repentance is a bad word because that means that you're some evil person and you have to be scared of it. The next term that people are afraid of is sabbatical. So brought up, was it last week or the week before that I will be taking a sabbatical in September? So then the questions are flooded in of what's going on? Are you depressed? Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you questioning your spirituality? Like all of these things, and I would say none of those. Um, When it comes to the sabbatical, I begrudgingly, based upon the wisdom of others, will um, take it. So, um, no. um, There's no grand depression, frustration, um, anything like that going on for a sabbatical, but wisdom of uh, many people, mentors, and leaders in my life have suggested that sabbaticals have come too late for leaders. You know, so you take a sabbatical 15 years in, and you're taking it because you're really worn out. So essentially, what the elders have encouraged and approved is take a sabbatical and enjoy being a pastor, enjoy being a believer, enjoy spending time with the Lord, and enjoy a break to refresh you, to renew you into the next season. Amen? So there's um, no—to continually clarify, we will be gone in August. Now, um, I suspect that the church will be fuller, right? People are going to hear that I'm taking a break, so people are going to show up. So that's what I suspect. Um, Nevertheless, um, the month of August, I will be away. Macy and I plan on going to um, the beach. Macy wants to swim with dolphins and help little sea turtles make their way into the sea, Um, whatever else. So yeah, that's going to happen. So hopefully, we'll be done with Galatians by then. If not, our guest speakers will finish it, because the first week of September, we're starting the book of Revelation. So um, nevertheless, um, we look forward to it. We're excited about it. We're blessed by the um, opportunity to be able to do that. So thank you, guys. Nevertheless, let's pray, and we're going to get started. Father, um, we just slow down today? Just what a unique opportunity, uh, people on vacation, people sick, um, but this unique group of believers has come together to worship you, to fellowship, to be encouraged by one another, and to be sharpened by your word. I do pray that your word would sharpen us today, Father. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, and feet I want to run with obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. What a decision that was made by SCOTUS this past week. Amen? We stand with life. We believe that God has knit every child from conception in their mother's womb. So those who have um, never made it, to life, like we have, we believe that um, believe that they're in heaven, that they have a spirit, and that they are set free. So we optimistically are excited about um, the decision that was made, but it doesn't mean that the church stops here. that The church hasn't won, right? There's so much more for the church to do now. Right? Amen? See, often what we like to do is we we like to pray for the things that we need, and then we get the things that we desire or need, and then we're like, okay, good, we've arrived. Well, the fact of the matter is this decision was made federally. Now it has to come to the state. So there's always going to be this battle between state and um, godly decisions. So It's not as if it's gonna be this way for the rest of eternity. I would suspect that pretty soon, not only will our state be challenged, these rules be challenged, but every state, these rules will be challenged. Nevertheless, we celebrate the victory that we have right now, but then it puts it back into our courts. How are we, as the church, going to help How are we as the church going to move forward? We have 17 and a half acres here at the church. Are you guys willing to work an orphanage if God builds one? Are you willing to volunteer your hours, 30 hours a week on top of adopting children? You're like, no, not me. I'll just give my money. God don't need your money, right? God needs us walking out the Great Commission and loving a generation of kids Amen? So we have to prayerfully be considering as a church, what's our, our next move? I did see a statistic. I cannot prove this st- statistic, but uh, what, what I think I saw, like there's 400,000 kids right now who are in the adoption system that um, are waiting on someone to adopt them. Now, I understand the adoption system is really challenging. It's costly. It's all of those things. I get that. But um, (laughs) if our hearts are really aligned with life and adoption, then what we do is we figure out a way to make that happen. So there's around 400,000 people, kids, that need adopted. And then there's allegedly 350,000 churches within the nation. So, what does that mean? if there's 350,000 churches in the nation, there's well over 300 or 400,000 families. So why do we still have 400,000 kids that have not been adopted? So as Macy and I are wrestling through this, it's like, well, yeah, we can rhetorically point the finger at everyone else. Like, we, we can come up with these grand schemes of how we can encourage the church, how we can encourage the nation, how we can do all these things, but... Why are we going to rhetorically put the pressure on everyone else but yet not consider it ourselves, right? So how are we personally considering how to bring change? So it's one thing to stand up on Facebook or whatever social media you are are on and say how great this is, but it's another thing just to let people and kids to be put into places that um, are just waiting on homes. And what's really unique about where we land this week in Galatians 1 is the idea of becoming sons of God, being adopted into his family. And there's so many kids that Macy and I have ministered to over the years, and so many kids even within the surrounding area who don't know their mom or dad. They've been adopted into a family. And in some of these families, they feel like they've been adopted into a family because of a paycheck, or they've been adopted into a family and they're not really loved. Now the uniqueness is when Christ adopts us into his family, we are fully loved, we are fully accepted, we are fully one with him. So it's unique that we land there this week. But what are we going to do? So um, it would be great It would be great if not only did we come up with ideas of what we could do, but we took a step towards it. So many of you guys probably already have ideas and you've already planned within your heart, well, after church, I'm gonna go tell an elder an idea that I have. Well, typically what happens is we tell an elder an idea that we have, and then what do we do? We say, I'll give you $300 for the church to go make that happen. See, like all of us, we want to be the idea people, but we don't want to be the people that take the first step. So how do we as a church start taking a step into loving those, um, not only embrace grace, right? Embrace grace is a step. But what other ways can we take a step into um, the decision of SCOTUS? Amen? Like, We stand with life, but now that we're going to have more life, how do we celebrate that life? How do we teach that life? How do we train that life? How do we love that life? Amen? Y'all don't seem too excited about that. So don't just come up with ideas. Let's take steps. Let's take that piece of wood like Noah did, and it seemed like a really crazy idea to the whole world, but each day Noah took one piece of wood and he put it on the boat. And then after he put that one piece of wood on the boat, he put the next piece of wood on the boat. A hundred years later, there was something special. Amen? So the small piece of obedience that you do today goes a long way into potentially sparing a generation. Right? I don't feel like I'm going to be able to preach today. God bless them as they sleep. Just let them be at peace. (laughs) Let them just rest in your presence. So Galatians 4 today. Amen? We're going to get into it. Again, we should be remembering that after Paul um, left the Galatian church, um, the Judaizers came in and began to teach against Paul's message. See, these Judaizers were stating that Paul's message and authority was not biblical. So Paul's being challenged. Therefore, Paul pens this letter to the Galatian church to call them back to living under God's grace. See, what was happening is they were leaving God's grace and they were saying, it's Jesus plus something else. You guys hear that every week. What we should be learning now through the book of Galatians is this is one side of God's grace is his adoption of us into his family through our, through our faith in Christ. So Galatians 3, 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Through Christ Jesus, we are all children of God through faith. Amen? John 1.12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, there's pride that being a second generation Berg, ite, Berg, in whatever we would call ourselves Berg person. There's there's pride in become uh, being a second generation Berg person, an Indian. And the reason why there's pride in that is you have nicknames, people know you, um, they understand who you are, uh, there's credibility just already, there's an acceptance into being that. You know, but what's greater, what's greater pride of being a second generation Berg person is there's so much um, just pride in being a child of God, amen? So, we have the right to become a child of God. And at the end of Galatians 3, we see three privileges of being a child of God, being adopted by God. See, um, it was Galatians 3, 27 through 29, and here's the privileges that we gained. We gained a new standing before God when we were adopted. So, we're clothed with Christ. And when we're clothed with Christ, what that means is... We are seen righteous now. When God sees us, because we're clothed with Christ, he doesn't see our mess, he sees his son. Amen? How many of y'all are messy in here? How many of y'all had a messy morning? <laughs> yep. So, Galatians three twenty-seven through 29 tells us that. It also tells us this, that we have real unity with one another. Now, why do we have real unity with one another? Because we're identified with Christ. We are one with him. So simply put, we're one with him. That's what it is. The next thing is we simply have a new purpose for our lives. And the new purpose that is given to us for our lives is this, is we are heirs to the promise. So, God has a purpose for those who are within his fold. So, we are heirs of the promise of Abraham. And what that means is we get to walk out the life of Christ each day. So, essentially, that's kind of where we finished last week. But I don't love where the chapter was divided Galatians 3 and Galatians 4. And when Paul penned this letter, um, he didn't put a chapter in there either but um, it's irrelevant at this point. So um, in the next several verses, Paul is going to help the Galatian church understand that the reward of being adopted means and how it helps set them free from ritualism. How many of you guys have ever been caught up in a ritualistic um, just experience when it comes to church? when it comes to your relationship with Christ. And we've been ritualistic because of the laws, because of the rules. So Paul is going to help us understand that. And once the Galatian church um, finds freedom from ritualism, they can have a personal relationship with God. Once you and I escape ritualism, we can have a personal relationship with God. So this is paramount for you and I to understand. So Galatians 4, verse 1. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to the guardians and trustees under the time set by his father. What? What is he saying, right? Paul is using this analogy because those during this time understood that children, even though heirs of the estate, were similar to slaves in multiple ways. So he's speaking to the culture. And how were these um, children kind of like slaves? Well, they had limited access to their fathers. They were under the care of some kind of guardian while they were a child. So these guardians acted as a manager of the kid, and this meant that they would disciple, teach, lead, discipline. Um, All of these aspects of a child's life, this guardian would oversee. Now, that kid would have no liberties until he or she reached an age set by the father. Then once they reached the age, they gained free access to the father. So they were now able to relate to the father um, and advance the family legacy together. So Paul's using this analogy because it speaks to the culture, and he's saying, look, the Father has a certain time that then things will change, and when things change, then full access will be given. So Paul takes this analogy, and he explains it in the next couple verses. So verse 3, he says this, so also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. So what are these elemental spiritual forces of the world? Paul is helping the reader, you and I, and those in Galatia, understand how a person moves from a position under the law to a position of adoption to sonship by grace. That's what he's getting at here. Essentially what Paul is saying is before we come to know Jesus, we are to act like children in a household, household held to a form of slavery. Now, what, what are we a slaves to? What are we a slave to, right? Now the slavery comes by the basic spiritual forces of the world. So before the world, before you and I met Jesus, before you and I had the understanding of Jesus, we were a slave. To the elemental spiritual forces of the world. So, those who are opposing scripture right now, those who are in our life who don't want anything to do with God, those who keep on making decisions that are just anti Christ, they're a slave to the spiritual, elemental, elemental spiritual things of this world. So, Um, better stated, before we know Christ, we live under the rule of the world's falsehoods of truth. So what Paul was telling them is they must move past the basics of the world and move into the grace of God. Because some of these elemental ideas that they were um, trying to walk out was works. That's what they were trying to do. They were trying to earn their way to God again. So what Paul is saying, we we need to move past those elemental things. We need to move into God's grace, not these worldly falsehoods. So essentially, uh, these falsehoods that Paul was encouraging them to walk away from, we can find in Colossians 2. So I'm going to read you Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive, through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental, elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. So Colossians 2 is emphasizing how people continually go back to elemental and deceptive philosophies of the world, which ultimately have no power. Simply put, they are human traditions. How many human traditions do we walk in that we think have power? How many hollow philosophies do we walk in that have no power? See, and when we feel like we have to follow these traditions and these philosophies, what that ends up leading to is legalism. When we walk in these ways, we become very legalistic about our approach to God, interacting with Him. See, how many of you guys feel the sense of guilt when you don't wake up and you don't pray, or you don't read your Bible reading plan, or it's been three days and you haven't talked to God? Now, I would encourage you that your life would be better if you started your day and your everything that you did and you submitted it to Christ, your life would be better. But we, we, sometimes what we do is you read the Bible reading plan or you read the Bible or you worship or you listen to Erwan or K-Love or any of these Christian musics out of ritualism. Some of you today might be here at church out of ritualism. You feel like you have to get that proverbial check mark to make God happy. Now, there's a great benefit of the body of Christ coming together. Amen? Now, if all we ever do is just come into church and we listen to the pastor, I'd say, well, you could probably go find a better pastor somewhere else that could preach it better. But I hope you don't come here just because of the Word or for worship. I hope you come here because what you recognize is each one of us care and love one another deeply and are willing to take the shirt off of our back to help someone, amen? That we have a church that's willing to pray and meet the needs of people, to sharpen and to speak truth and to keep people accountable, not in our our opinion, but in God's word, amen? So if we don't come to church, then look, we can't keep you accountable if you're just watching on Facebook all the time or listening online all the time. We have to be here to see one another, to see emotion, Scripture says, even have the elders lay hands on the sick and the needy. So we need to lay hands on one another, and we need to pray for one another. Nevertheless, it can be legalistic in going to church or participating in small groups. So what Paul is saying is, look, we have to move past these traditions. And when we feel like uh, we have to follow these things, yes, we become legalistic. Under grace, there is no such thing as legalism. See, grace opposes the basic rules of man's wisdom. Colossians 2 continues in verses 20 through 23. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world... So when you came to Christ, when Christ opened up your eyes, opened up your hearts, when Christ came to live inside of you and He made you a new creation and you were born again, what ended up happening is you and I died to these elemental forces of the world. So He says this: Why, as though you still belong to the, why, as though um, you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teaching. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. See, verses 20 through 23 are letting us know that in Jesus we all die to the elemental things of this world. It's done. We don't have to legalistically approach God anymore because all of these things, they lack wisdom anyway. They appear to be wise. Um, One of the things that I feel like um, appears to be wise is self-love. There's a lot of people in the name of the Bible that will say, you need to love yourself first, because if you can't love yourself first, then uh, you can't love others. Now, that sounds like wisdom, Like, go get yourself right. Sounds like wisdom. But I've never seen a scripture that actually says that we are to love ourselves first, and then after we love ourselves first, then we should go love others. Can anyone help me with that one? So, there's wisdom that appears to be right, and then what happens is we go love ourselves, and then... (laughs) The more I love, here's what happens when I love myself. I either justify myself or I realize I'm unlovable. And neither, well, both of those actually point me to Christ. Now, in some situations when it's done in an unbiblical way, you just start to justify everything in your life and write things off and there's really never any development. Now, am I saying that you should hate yourself? No, no. I think what the Bible tells us to do is love God and then love people, and he's going to handle everything else. Amen? Amen. So there's, there's this wisdom. There's these traditions that have the appearance of wisdom that Paul's saying, those are the elemental things of the world, and it's time for you guys and myself, it's time for the church and those in Galatia to move past it. See, under grace, our good cannot justify us. Amen? And our bad cannot sentence us. That's grace. Under grace, our good, your good cannot justify you. And your bad cannot sentence you. That's a quote, that's a line that we must remember each day. God's blessing is given completely outside of man's wisdom, teaching, regulations, and appearance. And this is where we fight against ritualism. We keep on trying to go back to the wisdom of the world. We keep on trying to go back to the elemental ideas. We keep on trying to add to the work of Jesus on the cross. But Paul continues to share how we are set free to be sons and daughters, and it's time for us to leave those things. So how are we set free? We become adopted. We become sons and daughters. So adoption must come at the right time. Galatians 4, verse 4 says this, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Deliverance from the law only comes through the cross of Christ, and those redeemed are God's sons. So you and I, if we are redeemed, are god 's sons ephesians um, ephesians one ten says this to be put into effect when the time reaches sorry to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things and heaven and on earth under christ god 's plan was for life to reach its fulfillment of times by bringing unity to all things in Christ. So, what Paul's getting at here is when the time had fully come. So, what is the time that he's pointing to? When Christ came, then the fulfillment was here. So, Christ has come, and that means that the fulfillment, the timing has fully come. But see, that fulfillment didn't happen just because he was here. The fulfillment came with a price. Adoption requires someone to have the right qualifications. So as we look at the second half of verse 4, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So Jesus had to have the right qualifications. So he had to be God's son, right? Not only did he have to be God's son, but Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law. So this is important that we see that he was born of a woman, born under the law. So essentially, Paul's not pointing to Mary here. So this isn't to lift up Mary, to build Mary up it was under that. What Paul was simply saying is um, Jesus is fully human. That's why he brings up born of a woman. So he was born of a woman, fully human, and then he lived under the law. So he couldn't defeat the law unless he was under the law, right? So Jesus was under the law. Now, we must remember that those who live under the law... Um, the law also lives, um, yeah, so whoever lives under the law also is under the dominion of the law, right? Under the dominion of the tyranny of the law, under the dominion of the um, sin of the law, the weight of the law. But Jesus was different. See, Jesus is the true offspring of Abraham. He's the true Israel. And he's the true son of God. So the law, and he interacted with a law completely different. See, he lived perfectly obedient to the will of God and his law. So everyone else violated it. You and I violated it. But Jesus lived under the law perfectly. See, he lived perfectly as the son, fully human. So as one who lived under the law, he took the curse of the law on himself. See, adoption requires the right requirements. Macy has a friend who's going through the process of adopting a loved one. And through this process, they're like, you need CPR training, you need swimming training, you need um, background checks, they need to come through your house. And Macy's like, oh my goodness, like swimming training? CPR training? Like parents don't even know that. So why do we have to have swimming training to adopt a kid now? But to adopt someone, you need to have the right qualifications. And Jesus was the fulfillment of all of the right qualifications. Amen? So because Jesus um, took on the curse of the law himself. It resulted in setting everyone free from the power of sin. And he did this so that you and I could be sons. Now, you're like, well, I'm a woman. What does that mean, sons? Paul was using the term sons here because in, in the culture um, during that time, sons had certain privileges that maybe the daughters didn't they were heirs to the kingdom they took over the land and there was certain idea of what a man was supposed to be within the culture so what god was saying is as you and i become sons whether male or female sons and daughters that that we are to be heirs of the kingdom and not our, not only are we to be heirs of the kingdom but we are supposed to further on the name and the legacy of the family amen So, Paul didn't say sons and daughters here for a very specific reason, because sons came with this idea that you will also further the kingdom. So, that commission for sons and daughters today is to carry the family legacy. Amen? Carry it on boldly. So, not only does it require um, the right time, not only does it require the right qualifications, but adoption is uh, still a little bit different. And here's... Uh, Verse 5, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. The word for adoption or, yeah, the definition of adoption means the act, uh, the action or the fact of legally taking another child, another's child, and bringing it up as one's own or the fact of being adopted. So why is adoption so important if you and I are already justified? See, what Paul is trying to get at is there's a difference for believers in justification and adoption. See, he's already been sharing with the church of Galatia that, look, you are fully justified in Christ. But sometimes what ends up happening is the church stops at justification. We think that just because we're fully justified that, okay, we're good with God now. Now, yeah, his justification acts uh, with us that is just as if we never sinned. But here's what I would tell you is sonship and being adopted by Christ is far greater than justification. I will get there. So why is adoption so important if we've already been justified? Justification is the idea that deals with the law. Uh, one would stand before a judge and be declared justified or just as if they never sinned. But adoption is different. God, only declares you not, uh, God not only declares you not guilty, but God gets off the judge stand to meet you and I where we are and to break the chains of sin and death off of us. As God does that, He welcomes us in as sons and daughters. See what justification does is when God sees us he doesn't He sees us as if we never sinned, but being welcomed in as sons and daughters means that he breaks the chains of sin and death off of us so that we can fully further His kingdom and walk in unity with him So in reference to justification, it is an amazing thing to be seen in the rites uh It is an amazing thing to be seen, um, just as if we never ascend. But adoption is much better because we are a part of God's family. We are loved and cared for as God's very own. Amen? See, many would argue that when Jesus said it was finished, that everyone was forgiven. That the justification that we needed was already there. So the world has the opportunity, and the world is walking in the justification of Christ because when he died, now there's receiving and there's faith, right? So please don't hear what I'm not saying. But when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. Justification was for all. But becoming sons and daughters was the next step. God bless you. Isn't um, yeah, but adoption is much better because we are part of God's family and we are loved and cared for as God's very own. Isn't that what we are all searching for deep down inside? To know that we know, that we know that we are loved and cared for by God? That when He sees us, He knows us, He cares for us, and that we are OK. Isn't that what life is about? that we all desire to know that we are welcomed into God's family? And because we want to know that, what do we do? We become legalistic. We try to earn our way. We try to do all these things. And what Paul is saying is you don't have to earn it. You don't deserve it. But because Jesus was cursed under the law, now you're welcomed in to become sons and daughters. One author says it this way. The richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. He continues, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes out of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. The church should be, um, should be a people whose worship and prayers and outlook on life are all prompted and controlled by the fact that we are children of God. Amen? We are children of God. Adopted into his our name and our, our identity. I'm more Christ's than I am a brown. I was adopted into him. I'm more Christ than my identity as a male. My identity is in Christ. I'm his. Verse 6, because you are sons... God sent the spirit of his son into our our hearts the spirit who calls out abba father so what paul is doing here is letting the galatians know that the proof that they are adopted by god is that god has given them the holy spirit and their sonship is expressed by their praise of god abba as their father Paul brings this up because he is confirming that they are truly sons of God. Don't hear what Paul isn't saying, right? Paul isn't saying that we become sons and then after that we receive the Spirit as if it's a two-part process. He isn't saying you give your life to Christ and then after that, sometime later, you receive the Spirit. What Paul is saying is, The Spirit confirms our sonship. Romans 8, 15 and 16. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So there's this confirming process that when the Spirit lives inside of us, it's confirming that we are sons and daughters. It testifies with our spirit. So what I want to do is wrap up this week. The term, therefore, is going to help us um, understand the conclusion, right? Adoption is paramount for us. So, there's this term that we're going to see, therefore, 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 therefore. So, therefore helps us understand the conclusion of the next, um, yeah, the next sentence. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So, therefore is telling us... um, yeah it's helping us understand that there is a conclusion of the above paragraph. So all that we've learned today therefore saying then what? So we need to understand that there's something that we are to learn. And that therefore is this, you are no longer a slave but a son. You are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave to legalism. You are no longer a slave to your sin. You are no longer a slave to your own personal justification. None of these things you are a slave to anymore. What Paul is letting the church of Galatia know is that believers are no longer minors, meaning not minors, right, but minors, kids. They're no longer under this uh, slave um, Idea. They're no longer these kids who have to have a guardian anymore. The law was a guardian. But once Jesus fully came, we no longer needed the guardian. Amen? So we're set free now. We're no longer a slave to the guardian. That we're no longer minors or living under the old rules of the redemptive history. He's letting them know that they are no longer slaves to the oppression of sin, that they have reached the full adulthood of God's sons, that they have been redeemed from the law and have received the gift of the Spirit, that they are sons and they are heirs making the promise of Abraham theirs. So I believe what Paul is teaching the Galatian church about sonship was to keep us a piece of it was to keep us from walking in legalism. See, we can become sons of God, and we, are, we no longer have to be slaves to the oppression of sin. Why? Because Christ has came. The time has arrived. So since the time has arrived, Christ has set us free, and because we are free, we don't have to live in that oppression anymore. We can be redeemed from the law, and we can receive His Holy Spirit. Amen? So one author says it this way, through Christ, our release from slavery, our sonship, the spirit of Jesus in our hearts, in our status as heirs of God, are all the birthrights given to us in Jesus. We've received them through Christ. These are things we should be living in and enjoying every day of our Christian life. So you and I are set free today from the old redemptive history. We don't have to walk in legalism anymore. So when that um, condemning spirit comes to you, when you mess up, you don't have to walk in sacrifice because what does Jesus say? Obedience is greater than sacrifice. But we don't have to walk in that sacrifice anymore. We don't have to walk in the let me, let me live three sinless days, and then once I live these three sinless days, then I can go to church again. We don't have to come to church and feel like we can't raise our hands or run the aisles or wave a flag or respond at the altar. We don't have to go confess to the pastor or to a father, or to a priest that we've sinned before we, we could become right with God again. Because Jesus died, because his time has come, we have been set free from all of that. Amen? Now, confession is good. Scripture says this, that when you confess, when you confess to God, you're for- forgiven. Like, me forgiving you does nothing in, re- uh, in comparison to, like, being set free from God's wrath, right? So you can ask for forgiveness from me all you want. Um, I forgive you. So, confess to man to be healed. Confess to God to be forgiven. So, confession is important. See, I've said this before, so um, I'll say it again, but confession to man sets us free. A lot of people are dealing with the same sin over and over and over again because they haven't confessed it to man, right? Right? Anything that you're hiding, you want to keep. You've heard that before, too. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't confess, and like this is, a, has nothing to do with the sermon, just free. But anything that we are hiding, we want to keep. So confession to man actually sets us free from a lot of the weight and the pressure of our sins. Amen? What does a dog do with its bone? It hides it. Why does it hide it? Because it wants to keep it. Likewise, the sin in your life that you're hiding, what do you want to do with it? You want to keep it. If you don't want to keep it, find someone to confess to. So I say that to say confessing to a priest, confessing to a pastor, confessing to a friend helps you put it out there for accountability's sake to say, I no longer want this. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that um, just through this teaching that Paul has presented to the Galatian church, that there was a time that we were under the law. There was a time that there was this guardian within our life that directed us, that almost kept us a slave. But the time has come where you sent your son to set us free from all of those things. We've been set free from the law, Father. We've been set free from sin and death. I pray that you would give us greater understanding of that this week. That we would just simply see that you're using Paul in this short paragraph, Father, to say that we don't have to walk in legalism anymore. Help us not walk in legalism this week. Father, give us ideas as a church of how we can help adopt others into our families, into our church to make a difference and those who need to find a home. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you guys. And um, I'm highly serious about what do we do as a church to make a difference within um, abortion, within the more kids and the more life that we get to celebrate. Because, tangent, but I'm going to, like, one of the biggest things that I get frustrated with, and I think we should be frustrated with, is the idea that we have a lot of people complaining about the younger generation, but we don't have a lot of people investing into the younger generation. So we have to invest into the younger generation. We have to be a part of the change. So we have an opportunity as these lives that are either unwanted or... You can't afford them, or whatever, or some people that had tragic situations where parents both died and they need adopted. What can we do as a church and what can we do as individuals? We need to keep on praying about these 17 and a half acres and what God wants to do. We don't need 17 and a half acres. I never want this church to be a mega church of like 5,000 people. If it is, I'm out. <laughs> I'm done. If we can't love 200 people well, we're not going to love 500 people well, or 5,000 people. Nevertheless, we have 17 and a half acres, so it's never going to be a big church. What if it was an orphanage? What if it was a camp to bring in kids who who need weeks away? What if we teach kids how to cook, clean, garden? Like, how can we make an impact in the next generation? Now, I don't just want your ideas. I want an idea that you're willing to stand up for. Amen? That you're willing to invest in, not just with money, but with time. And a lot of the ideas that I have, I say, God, I have these great ideas, but I'm not going to take that step of obedience. So then guess what I do? I preach Galatians to myself. Thank you for your grace. Amen? All right. God bless you guys. See you next week.